So, Chad, Berto, let's read patron emails and respond to them. What do you say? Awesome. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm chair of the Couple and Family Therapy Program at Antioch, and I'm also a licensed therapist. My name is Humberto Casaña. You killed my father, probably. I'm Chad Bronstein. Thanks for having me on. I'm the owner of a company called TimeToHire.com. That is a website that helps people connect with commissioned salespeople, correct? That's right. All right. This is an email from patron Beth. Hi, Dr. Honda. Dr. Honda. I love your podcast and recently became a patron. And I am currently in the middle of a premium podcast binge. So I have a situation I want to run past you. My family and I are moving to Washington in a few weeks. Washington State? Yay, yes. We will be driving across country and are basically turning it into a family vacation with a few stops along the way. Uh-oh. I asked a good friend to come with on the road trip and then fly home afterwards. The whole thing will take about 10 days. But her husband said no because he never gets vacations and she would be gone for too long. WTF! Exclamation point. I can't fathom my husband saying something like this. And I'm having a hard time not saying something to her about how controlling this is of her husband. I certainly don't want to cause a fight, but I don't want my friend to be mistreated either. Is this misogynistic of her husband or just shitty? I've seen this movie. <laughs> this is a great movie. We got to film this. So, you know, because clearly... Thelma and Louise? Well, she's going to convince her to trick the husband. It's not a vacation. She's got to go for work and it's all these things. And then they're going to get in hijinks. Uh, they're going to get, you know, they're their gonna car's going to get totaled and stuff. Yeah. But anyways, uh, yeah, uh, let me think about this. Uh, on the one hand, it's easy to dismiss it as, yeah, what a dick. But, I mean, it could just be... Uh, a it could actually be a situation where they need to talk this out as a couple because maybe he does feel like it's, uh, you know, he doesn't get to do anything and now he feels jealous. And it doesn't mean it's right, but like also ignoring his feelings could also, you know, be unfair because yeah. the situation could easily be flipped. He could be like, hey, I'm going with my buddies to Vegas for a weekend even. And sh and she might be like, well, we never go to Vegas, right? Like, you could totally see that situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm saying, like, okay, on the surface, should she be, quote-unquote, allowed to go on a trip? Sure. But we don't know all the details. Was that going to be during a time that's difficult for him at work? Uh, is, you know, what what's their relationship like right now? And, and all these things. So I wouldn't be so quick to say, yes, he's being misogynistic. What do you think, Chad? Is he being a dick? Again, it's hard to say without with limited information, but why would he be misogynistic? Well, he's not letting his wife go on a trip for fun. He's and he, he and he he said uh, her husband said no because he never because he never gets vacations and because she would be gone for too long. She would be gone for okay. too long. Yeah, yeah, that seems a little bit weird. Yeah. That part, but we I think we need more information. But yeah, but, um, but, but I mean, does he hate women? I don't think, that I don't think we have any women. information yeah, in this about him hating women. Uh, here's the thing now. As you're saying, Chad, I totally agree with. We have to talk with him to get the full story. Berto, you're saying this too. So there's no way we can know. But in general, I will say, based on the limited information, there are some definite red flags of misogyny and sexism. Women are generally supposed to stay at home. They're not allowed to have their own fun. <laughs> and, the, and men are uh, more likely to be threatened because of messages that they've been indoctrinated into that women right. shouldn't be allowed to do things like this. Men 
are more likely uh, privileged with being able to go on trips like this and and not have anyone have a problem with it. I, is that there's no data on that? That's not a thing. <laughs> I mean, maybe in the fifties that was true. Well, in some areas of the world and country, I would actually argue. I'm sure I would have data that men, because of misogyny. And patriarchal structures, men probably have way more inability to take long vacations because they're in jobs that prevent them from doing so, and yeah. than than the opposite. Right, but that's different. You know, that's that's in general. Again, we're generalizing. Men being prevented from going somewhere might be oppressed by the fact that society makes them work hard. Yeah, and and because they set up the rules. Yeah. Well, yeah. society sets up the rules and they follow what them. Men did. And, and women are traditionally not allowed to make their own choices. And if the man doesn't like something, then, again, in traditional relationships, that's, that's what dictates something. And, uh, and yeah. again, Berto, you do not have to go very far to hear stories like this. This isn't to say that it's not changing this isn't to say that men don't have problems too. This doesn't. This isn't to say that hashtag not all men. But this I, is this is a common element in our society. I, I actually I, I I believe my opinion is it cheapens the definition of misogyny to say that a dude being maybe selfish, maybe he really hasn't gone to go on any trips and wanted to. Who knows, right? That that is hating women. And oppressing women. I feel like it's a relationship problem that if she wants to go on a two-week vacation and can't because he feels it's too long and he doesn't get to do it, that's a relationship problem. They need to work it out. And maybe she doesn't need to be with him. But I don't think that that's misogyny necessarily. It could be. By the way, it could be. Well, he could hate women. The misogynistic elements of it are if he is... Like a double standard, maybe. Yeah, double standard. And if she has internalized misogyny. Like... If their relationship is set up in a way that she even herself feels like she doesn't have the right to say something like that, because just an- answer me this, you you privileged men in the room, if you were if you were to ask be asked by your friend to go on a a special road trip to move, you know, you're you're taking a road trip out with your friend to move across the country, and then you're going to fly back, and your spouse said. No, I haven't had a vacation in a while, and that's you're going to be gone from the house for too long. How would you feel? Well, if I was being if I was being in the moment, I would be annoyed, right? I'm like, oh, god damn it! But the flip side is, I might actually, with the hindsight, probably after being fuming overnight, I might think about it and be like, well, okay, it's true, she hasn't had a vacation. Neither have I, but she hasn't, and I'm going to be gone for two weeks. So I could see how that'd be hard to stomach. So let's talk this out. Maybe we can make a trade. Maybe I can say, hey, listen, I'll go on this trip, and then we're going to go to Italy, or you're going to go to Italy, or whatever. And what if you, you know? did that, and it didn't work? Okay, that's different. Then I'm like, well, now you're being unreasonable. Why? Like, I'm trying to work this out. And now, if she could be like, listen, one week, fine. But remember, in two weeks is this big thing we had planned, and now you're going to be gone for that. And I mean, you, that's the that's the relationship part, right? But I, I wouldn't be like, you're being sexist, right? I'd be like, well... Well, no, there's no... Just, again, based on this, you know, limited information. But if it's a pattern, you know, then by all means, call it sexism. But she could say, you can't, you can't like, be gone for two weeks, dude. You're the breadwinner. You need to be at work. That would be sexist. 
Right. Yeah. And I, but but if that weren't the case, like in his example, if like if we had more data, for example, if he was like, if she, if she said, look, this guy took a three or you know like a month vacation last year by himself with his buddies, and now he's saying she can't go for two weeks. Okay, that's a little more evidence that something's definitely not right. Here's here, here's the thing: women out there that are listening are probably like just getting more and more angry at you, bro. Right. You know, that's what? fine. And, it's okay. And, and which is fine. And the reason is, is because for many women, when they hear a story like this, it's so bread and butter their experience. They, they, many women have experienced this, you know, almost exact story. And when you have so many people of one group experiencing a similar story, then you have to say, perhaps there's a societal, cultural element that is informing this situation. And misogyny slash sexism is that thing. (laughs) Sorry, but I mean, if we're at the point where our big problem is women not being able to take two weeks by themselves with their friends, then I think we're fine. But we're not at that point. The the problems of misogyny and, and, and actual oppression are real and deep. And this could be one of them. But there's not enough data here. No, this we, seems, no. This no, seems we, like a dude being like a like. This seems like a dude being depressed about how much work he's got, and he's like, "Dude, you're gonna be gone for two weeks. I haven't taken a vacation in forever." He's being unreasonable, but at the same time, he's also being frustrated. Is, uh, they just, need to work it out. Are, when are you? Is that actually what you hear when you hear that story? Yes, that's actually what it's, I hear. It's, it's like a Rorschach test for sexism or something. <laughs> because when I hear it, I just hear sexism. When you hear it, you hear that. They're both possible, obviously. But I just think it's interesting that, that... I mean, it could also be the guy could be jealous. Like, he might he might fear... Like, there might be insecurities where he's like, oh, you're going with your female friend for two two weeks out of state, and you might cheat on me or something like that. Right. That could be something. But I, that's not I misogyny. Think, I, yes, that that's is. That's insecurity on his part. If he's but, just controlling, is that right. misogyny? It, it, it's, it's, it's okay to be insecure, it's okay to worry about being jealous. It's another thing to say, no, you're not going. Yeah, but it's not misogyny. It's just he's acting out in his insecurities. Well, what's in your definition of misogyny? Well, okay, well, literally it's hatred of women. I but, know, but, but what's your practically definition? Practically speaking, it is when the action is because of their gender, you're, you're taking actions or making decisions that are limiting or oppressive in nature because of their gender. Because of their gender. Uh, There's no evidence that this is because of her gender. Okay. It's just she happens to be the female in this story. This could be two lesbian. Uh, this uh, could have been two lesbians. Yeah. Is it so, misogyny when it's two lesbians and one says, you can't go for two weeks. I never take a trip. So answer me this, Berto. Say someone wrote in and said, I'm Latino. I was at work and I you know, was uh, at a meeting and... Someone in the my you know in, in the in the room said to me, "Well, we're not going to give you that promotion because you know not a lot of Latinos are good at math, and so blah blah blah." Or you know maybe maybe I shouldn't say that. I'm trying I'm trying to come up with a good example. But you're you're painting a very explicit race. I know I know I know. Yeah. Uh, if, they, if 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 they said some well, what's what's a common Latino aggression? Uh, like lazy or okay, something which okay. is clearly so, the opposite. So but. you're at, so you're you're at work and and you you you're working hard and someone and you get an evaluation that says yeah you're lazy 
and you, you don't yeah. take work seriously or that something. That could be. That could be, right? But but first of all, I so, might be lazy. Right? So, so No, not you. But so, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Someone writes in. Yeah. Okay. And it sounds just, again, bread and butter, like how many Hispanic, Latino people have experienced this. I'm guessing you would have a little bit more sympathy to the situation. Well, I have sympathy for this situation, just a different kind of or, sympathy. Or a different Rorschach interpretation in terms of... Uh, seeing the the greater potential of it being a racist. Uh, th- that's situation. probably fair because I I guess in my mind I don't equate a guy's insecurities or real potential frustration in the relationship with misogyny. I do right? though. I do. There, there's there's nothing wrong with being insecure. That that's. But I people are. Insecure. I think acting on but, the insecurities but, but in this, this way it's is the wrong. control element. Sure. Now what a what a woman is socialized to do, if she were in a, the, the same situation, is not to control. She's not given that, that mandate. What she is given is other passive ways of punishing, like being upset or texting the person all the time or something. But that's not like what media, like in movies all the time, uh, especially if they're black, by the way. Uh, hell no, you're not doing blank. Well, because I'm in this powerful relationship as a female, and I control your sex life, yeah. and that is the media representation of it. Well, media, which one, is bullshit, right? Two, but that is the media representation. Two media, one. Uh, that's that's what's one thing. And but we're thing, talking about society, right? We're talking about societal representation, societal media. Media is a reflection of society, but it doesn't represent society. If you just took media representations of gender and and that was what you thought gender was actually like in our society, you you would have a distorted view. It's not that sexism and misogyny doesn't happen in media. But I would just say, for me, a way more stereotypical situation would be, honey, I'm going away, the guy. Honey, I'm going away for the weekend with the guys. And the woman saying, uh, hell no, you're not. I don't get to go on these trips, and you're probably going to get up to no trouble. That, to me, would be a stereotypical... Now, it's not right, it's wrong, but all the same things apply. But the one about the woman saying, hey, I'm going on a long trip, and the guy saying, you can't go because I don't take trips, and that's too long, I don't know that that's like so stereotypical. Like I don't know that that's a thing. That because, that's and a, the reason why I think you don't think that's a thing is because you're not a woman, and you haven't had that situation, and you're, and you're not just, like that. Couldn't it just be a control issue? Because in relationships, sometimes the woman is in control. I've seen this many times with yeah. my friends. And in this case, maybe the, the man is in control and sounds like he's being unreasonable, right. obviously. but Right. So it, it's not just misogyny or just sexism. It's the dynamic that they have or something. But And again, again, we have no information, so God knows, but... I, you know, I just think this sparked an interesting conversation. Next yeah. email. Email from Patron Scott. My friends are on the verge of breaking up, and they are always having drunken arguments. I think the one issue is that both want lots of control over their partner, but the main issue is that they don't know how to have a sober conversation about what they want. In their drunken arguments, everything turns into a personal attack. Do you have any advice or strategies for working with couples in conflicts over control who don't know how to compromise or have a sober conversation about what they want. Thanks for any help you can offer. What do you guys think? At first, I thought it was a metaphor. You know, they can't have a sober conversation. Oh. But the next sentence is, 
So in my mind, I was thinking like, oh, that's that's a nice metaphor to use. And then it's like, but they they were these having these drunken. I was like, oh no no, they meant it literally. <laughs> yeah. So so patron Scott has friends who are in a relationship, and whenever they talk about their relationship, they get into these drunken. It's when they're drunk and they have arguments, and they don't have conversations when they're sober. What advice do you guys have for that? Uh, okay. So one thought is if. If they are close friends and they have patterns like every Friday we get together and we all kind of get a little drunk and this ends up happening, uh, maybe as a friend, I might try to vary the pattern and be like, hey, this Friday, I got tickets for this show. Let's go do something else. You know, like maybe try to break the the consistent because, you know, you start making these things in your head, these associations where it's like, oh, it's Friday. It's drinking time. It's arguing time. Right, so maybe one way to help break that up is say, "Oh yeah, no, um, I let's go do something else." Yeah. If he's got the ability, or she as as a friend. Yeah, know. Chad, do you have any advice? I was just going to say that sometimes it doesn't always work out. That may not be the best advice. Yeah, but I think that's worth exploring. Maybe the this couple should not be together, and they should go down that road to to break up, possibly to break up. Yeah. If they can't if they can't have a conversation about it. Sure, compatibility is a factor. Potentially, and maybe they're just not made for each other. What I would say is, if you, if you want to help, just point out and say, look, because here's the thing that I've learned as I've gotten older. I used to think that drunken conversations were honest conversations. But as I've gotten older, I've realized that drunken conversations are impaired conversations. Yeah. You're not, you're not <laughs> honest. You're actually, parts of your brain are not functioning. And you are actually not making any sense. The drunker you get the less of you you actually are because parts of your brain are, are becoming dysfunctional to the point of they're not even operating really. And so your personality, sections of your personality are basically like offline. Right. And you can't interpret what's happening accurately. And so you're basically seeing a, a massive distortion and then you're operating from parts of your brain that are usually in conjunction with other parts of your brain. And the part of your brain that is functioning is, is also like dysfunctional. And so, so you cannot ever have a conversation. It's very rare that if you get involved in a romantic, conflictual conversation or friendship, conflictual conversation, it's very rare that if you are drunk, things are going to go well. Yeah. If you had one, one drink, maybe two to kind of loosen things up, maybe... But beyond a certain point, it is just, it's a terrible idea. I have never, and, and I've heard many, I've, many couples come to me with this complaint, and I, I just tell them flat out, do not have a conversation when you're drinking. That is just off limits because that's just not functional. When was the last time you were drunk and had a productive conversation about your relationship? It's just not going to happen. The second thing is, is how are you going to have conversations when, when, you're, when you're sober? People have to be able to, trust the situation and have to make that a priority. Everyone wants to have a conversation when they're, when they're sober, but they might feel anxious about what's going to happen. And of course, I'm a marital couple therapist. You should get a therapist because, and hopefully you won't. Although I have known some couples that will go to dinner and they'll have like date night before they come to therapy and they'll come in a little buzzed, which, <laughs> which uh, doesn't necessarily hinder or help. But, but the other thing here is that you're talking about people, you're asking, how do you help them with, they have, they have control issues between the two of them. The reason why people have control issues is because they're insecure and they're hurt. People don't 
actually want to control other people. The reality is the only reason why you try to control someone else is because you're worried about something. And so the key is, is how can these two people have less worry about losing the other person? Because that's the primary worry is like, if it, I, this person is going to leave me and then I'm going to be rejected and I'm, and I'm going to be hurt and I'm going to be sad. And so my parents taught me to control the other person to stop that from happening. And so again, you're just a friend, so you should just listen to them and be a good friend. But that's the premise. Does that make sense to you guys? Isn't control on some level a necessary dynamic in every relationship? No, it's not. I mean, it's a philosophical argument, but I find that a lot of people will talk about power and control. Somebody that can steer the ship, so to speak? Well, we're talking about roles in that instance. You know, it's like All right. if, if it's like one person knows more about food or something and the other person doesn't, then the person who knows more about food is sometimes given that control or power. But what I'm talking about is there. there's a philosophy out there and in my field, frankly, that power and control is like a major fundamental element in human relationships. But I contend that the only reason why we even concern ourselves with power and control is because we're worried about being rejected. That's the only reason why people engage in control. It's the only reason why people are, not the only reason, but the main reason why people are domestically violent or uh, you know, controlling of their spouses is not because they love being in control. It's because they're terrified of being rejected. And they were taught at an early age that control is the answer to that anxiety. And so they exert that control as a way of trying to reduce their anxiety. And once someone feels secure, they naturally don't turn to power and control because they don't need to. That, that's my point. See, I used to think this way, but then a professor yelled at me and told me I was wrong, and so now I don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> One more email. Uh, anonymous email. Ooh, anonymous. Ooh. You mean like the anonymous? Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Dr. Honda. I'd rather keep my identity anonymous for this. Ooh. I wanted to write about a more personal issue or experience and wonder about your advice. Perhaps you have encountered it before. The problem is that I don't feel like I have the kind of goals that other people have. I see people with their careers and their hobbies and their social goals and relationships, and I certainly try to imitate what they're doing to an extent, but it does not feel like it is coming internally from me. What could be the cause of that? For example, in romantic relationships, I've gotten jobs and promotions in order to keep a partner happy, but none of it really came from me. It was just a way to keep the relationship on an even keel. I get panicked when I read job descriptions. I see all of the things they ask for, like drive, ambition, goal-oriented, self-starter, and what have you, and I feel sick in my stomach knowing that I will have to fake everything the next time that I go <laughs> for a promotion. The same things affect me when I see what friends and acquaintances are doing on Facebook and what they tell me about their plans, goals, ambitions, and so on. Every time I start a new relationship with a woman, I have to quickly find out what she does and try to make it a part of my life or to find out what she does and create a fabricated activities or hobbies to at least appear somewhat normal to this person. Perhaps it is just who I am or is there maybe an, an underlying issue, some kind of repression or spiritual problem. You could argue that I want relationships, and perhaps this is a counter-argument. I certainly desire the company and pleasure that comes from being in a relationship, but when I break up with someone or things do not work out, I do not feel the sense of needing a partner. 
I don't feel lonely. I don't feel like I'm on a mission to have another relationship. I have gone for years at a time without a relationship or sex and not really felt bad about it. I sometimes feel like I'm looking at other people like through a glass wall in a zoo. I'm puzzled, bemused, entertained, confused by their apparent attachment to these plans that they have in life, to their routines and their goals and their plans. That's just the problem. Whenever I set some goal, I just feel like I'm acting out a behavior to please other people. As a result of this kind of perspective, I feel like I'm an imposter. Perhaps there is a psychological term for this, but it does not make me feel like a, but it does make me feel like a freak. He does feel like a freak. I do wish that I was internally driven and a motivated person like other people. What are your thoughts? Uh, you know, I, on some level, um, some parts of this sound very common in the modern high stakes world of businesses and jobs, the job um, market. Because yeah, you see job descriptions are hilarious. You know, it's like, when you read a job description, you're like, oh my God, this is superhero. They want Batman. They want Batman, right? Because it's like, you know, like, it's just like the- Talks with a growl. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> I'm Batman. No, but but really, like, job descriptions are so oversold, right? And then you imagine, wow, if, if this person is as described, they will solve all the problems, right? And it, it, it's impossible. And so in resumes, as also, you, you read a resume from someone that was, you know, like went online, figured out how to write a good resume, and they pump up all their stuff. And then you read that resume, you're like, oh my God, why has this person not won a Nobel Prize at least, right? Um, but the reality is that a lot of that stuff is fluff, is made up, is, uh, is in fact aggrandized from what just happened. Now, sometimes people do cool stuff, you know, like I've done two CDs. Now, if I were writing a resume, I might say, you know, uh, um, professional musician published. Yeah, yeah, like, like, yeah, like basically like uh, crafted, you know, two full feature length albums with, uh, you know, award winning, like who, what's a word? Oh, the one down the street, like whatever. Right. But. But the fact is that and those I albums actually, are available on they are available on iTunes and on That's Spotify. Right. That's right. Our, our band Missionary and, and we, we did a, an album together. Uh, That's the right. The band's called Missionary, and then you did an album for Plastic, Pla- Plastic Poly, Plastic Poly, Plastic which was Poly. pretty good. And the thing is, so I'm super proud of those things. You know, I am. I did them. They were hard. I, You're I, more great. proud of the one we made together. Of I'm, I'm definitely prouder <laughs> of that one. But the point is that I, I'm not. Like those things I did because I actually did want to do it. And then you could say, well, you probably wanted to do it because you want to be adored like the Stone Roses said. Whatever the, the underlying reasons, I actually felt the need inside. This person goes beyond these kind of facades that we do all kind of wear. And it sounds like, unfortunately, they do have a bit of like they don't feel the need to do a specific thing. Yeah. And I don't know if that's depression or something else, but I do feel... Like that, that must be tough because I, I definitely have a lot of insecurities and a lot of times where I feel like an imposter about things and stuff like that. But sometimes I do feel, but that I want to do and yeah. I, I want to try to do that thing. Right. The central feature here is that he feels like he has to have, he has to act like he has motivation and hob- hobbies and goals. Right. He, he even feels like he has to be interested romantically in someone. And he doesn't even, when he's not with someone, he's not particularly motivated to be with anyone. So it's, it's interesting. But what I'll say about this is that it's possible that he is 
uh, very, you know, uh, what do they call it? Um, he's, he, he has a very normal personality, but he's struggling with some things and he's, and he's questioning. He's sort of a meta thinker. He's just like, why do, you know, what's the exist? Wh- why are we here on this planet? It just seems a little futile. I have moments like that myself. When I look at the activities that we all spend in, in our lives, I, I wonder, like, is this really what we're here to be why doing? Why am I doing this? Yeah. You know, I, I'm on Facebook right now, and I'm posting something. What's the, pur- Hodor. What's the purpose of this? <laughs> or I'm watching this TV show. Like, what's the use in any of this? Or I'm going to work today. Like, what's the point? Like, uh, you know, I have, I have moments like that. Yeah. So, you know, it's normal to think about that. Having said that, there is a central feature to what he's talking about that does point to a potential uh, somewhat different personality trait, which is that he, he doesn't actually care about what other people think. That a lot of what motivates human beings is the caring about what that, other people think of you. That's a great point. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like, we want to get a good job because it makes us look good. We want to be in a relationship because we want someone to love us because it validates us when someone loves us. So it's not that he lacks something like empathy. He right. lacks this. Is, is there a, a diagnosis somehow for this thing that he possibly lacks? Well, there are personality disorders that are related to this. Like, uh, well, I won't go into it, but there, you can potentially, because of the way you're raised and potentially to genetics, you might just not really care about what other people think. And it just doesn't motivate you. And you don't care about prestige. And, you don't, and if people think weird thoughts about you, you just don't really care. You're just not interested so much in other people's feelings. Autism is an obvious diagnosis that people will throw around in situations like this. But the, but the other thing is, is I'm hesitant to even pathologize what he's talking about because it's totally possible that he isn't a good candidate for a pathological lab, label, a DSM diagnosis. Be, and it's just his, his, the way he lives his life. And does it create impairment for him? Is it is it dysfunctional in some way for him? I, I'm not hearing that. I'm hearing that he just he questions things a lot, and he doesn't feel like he's like other people. Is it distressing to him? I, I'm not really hearing that. I'm hearing that he's just noticing, like, maybe I'm different than other people. He wrote an email. Right. He's interested in my opinion, so that's one thing. He's reaching out. So, you know, there's... I'm my baseline answer to this is I don't want to pathologize it. I don't want to call it anything other than just to say it's a it's an interesting personality uh, constellation that he has, and I'm not going to pathologize it. If you can find happiness in life and be a good person to other people, which it sounds like you are, then just be you. Just continue to be you. And is it possible that motivation is just another character trait? Like a, you're right. rolling a D&D character? And yeah. Some people f- are extremely motivated to like get things done and do stuff, you know, to yes, accomplish absolutely. things, cross things off the list, to hold up an accomplishment, you know? And some people just could care less, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Achievement and, unlocked. Right. And just because you're looking out in the world and it seems like everyone else is constantly interested in that, and you're not, does not mean there's something wrong with you. I have a friend, this person, this friend's dream is to save up enough money and one day move to Costa Rica and like live on a beach. And what I was thinking was like, maybe something to try is 
get get away, like save up just a little bit of money and go somewhere totally cheap and, and away from normal quote unquote society and just see if that's okay. Where like he's not supposed to do or this go, or that. Go to a society like Vietnam or Thailand yeah. where people interact in a different way and yeah. they might find that people are somehow happier in that environment yeah, than like in the tr- consumerist uh, America. Travel. I mean, if it's not feasible financially to travel much, at least pick a couple destinations. There's places you can go in this world for cheap and, and live cheap for a bit there that are very different from our, like, you know, U.S. Society. Tacoma. Rat race. Tacoma. <laughs> Tacoma. Yeah. Uh, and that might, I, he, he might find different kind of fulfillment or, or something. Or, or just the lack of pressure might become enough. Right. The other thing is, is we are so... And we're, we're. I'm just going to highlight what you're saying. In our society, we're so focused on achievement and on career and on prestige and on being a go-getter and being a self-starter and all those kinds of things. And if you're not like that, which I'm guessing a lot of people are, I can imagine feeling quite. It seems ab- weird, abnormal. Yeah. Right. Can you say that again? I think you can do better, Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> um. Other things that I'll just throw out that are possible pathologies, so to speak, to look into are borderline or narcissism. If, if, you're, if you're narcissistic, you might end up manifesting your thinking in this way, like everyone else is this and I'm better. He's not saying he's better, but there's a hint of that potentially. He's not saying that explicitly. So that's another thing to look into is narcissism. And, and narcissism isn't a flaw in character, it's a reaction to early childhood experiences that are challenging to one's uh, natural narcissism, I will say. Also, a lack of self. If you were socialized or abused in such a way as a child to not allow you to have your own internal motivation, because and there are plenty of people like this, you will grow up and, f- and, p- and feel not necessary you'll feel different than other people because you won't have internal motivation because as a as a child whenever you had internal motivation you had a negative consequence and learned early on to suppress your own internal motivation so that's another possibility you could be dissociating again because of uh distress that you went through as a child you could be uh, severely dismissively attached meaning that you were left too much on your own as a child, neglected emotionally, essentially, and that will make you feel very distant and also unknowing of your attachment needs to other people. So it could be that you actually really do long to connect with other people, but you suppressed that long ago because you didn't trust other people because they were neglecting of you. You could have a lot of social anxiety, which there's hints of that in here. The social anxiety could make you resort to certain cognitions to protect yourself. For instance, if you're really desiring contact with other people, but you're terrified of other people, you could tell yourself, I don't need other people. I don't like other people. That could be a, a coping mechanism. You're not, there's not strong evidence of that. There's all, you could also just be anxious about general performance. If you're afraid of making a mistake or you're a perfectionist or something, you could imagine, again, saying to yourself, why, are, why is everyone so interested in performance? I mean, I don't care about performance. And it's a defense against the, the psychic worry of, of making a mistake and being humiliated in some way. 
There's no real hints of these things. Again, the overall thing I'll say is there's based on what you're saying, there's no reason to pathologize what you're saying. And you could that could just be your your life. And again, as long as you're happy and you're not harming other people, then you do you. That's what I'll say about that. Well, that does it for another episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it.